0: As, 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 as we approach the anniversary, we wanted to do just a, a series that really roots us back in some of the formational foundational thoughts or ideas, doctrines, perspectives that undergird who we are and what we do. Um, the, 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 the things that undergird that serve as our motives and, and actually even the power that moves us in what we do. And so, so last week we started that with a a sermon that was intended to demonstrate that the gospel really is central to us, but it's not just central in the fact that it's just this idea that sits in the middle, but it is the very source of our identity as people, like as individual Christians, but also as a people, as a body of believers. And so the main point of that sermon, I need to share it with you for those that weren't here, just for those that were just to bring it back so that we can kind of build from it this week. For the Christian, the gospel literally changes everything. We are who we are because of the gospel. It is God's work to change us and transform us and make us something we weren't before. And everything about who we are today in Christ, it's, it's not the words themselves that is that that, that is the that, that is the, the the power and the and the and the transformation but it's the content it's what they point to it's the story they tell it's the truth and the and and the grace that's revealed in the in the work of god to redeem and restore a people to himself through the sacrificial the, the sinless life the sacrificial death and the victorious resurrection of the lord jesus christ and and as we look to that good news to that gospel message we are drawn to a god who is great a god who is glorious, a, a God who is good in all he does, and a God who is extremely gracious beyond, beyond our imagination. And so, so that, 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 that message roots us in the work that he's doing. That, that word, that, that proclamation draws us to understand that we are who we are, not because we've done something, but because he's done something. And because of the gospel, we, we're given a new identity. We aren't who we used to be. In many, time, many times in the scriptures, it says, as, as stark as difference of life and death, of sinner and saint, or I guess to say it the other way, to saint and sinner, right? Like this, we used to be dead. We used to be sinners. And now we're living, breathing, believing people. But we're, we're called, in Christ, we're called saints. That's how stark the difference is. We are not what we used to be. We, we belong to a new people. We, we aren't. We, are, we aren't of the world anymore. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We belong to God's people. We have a whole new future. The, but because of what God has done in the gospel, the, the struggles and the strife and the, and, and the difficulties of this life are as bad as it will ever be. Our best days are still ahead of us, not because We're going to figure something out on this earth. But because God is restoring his people, he's making us new. And one day he will give us these glorified bodies that we're able to stand in his presence, no longer marked by any of the strife or the struggle, but giving completely to his glory. And Because of the gospel, we gain new values. The things that didn't seem important to us before are suddenly things that we would devote ourselves to. The, the things that seemingly didn't matter in life suddenly become the highest of priorities. Now, it's from this place of values. It's, it's this idea that, 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 that in this new identity, we gain these new values, these new purposes, these new priorities. Is from this place that we're going to launch out today for this week and next week as we kind of wrap these two things up, or these, these, this little series up, into the doing, the living of the gospel, right? So because of who we are, and because we've been so radically changed, it will radically affect what we do. So, so, so it's not that the gospel doesn't have something to do associated with it. It's that all of the doing is first associated with the new creation or the new being. We can't do, we can't live until we've been made alive. And because we've been made alive, we can now live. And so the, the two focuses, and there's so many ways, there's so many ways that I could have approached this. In fact... I was telling Amy this week, I had been ahead, been preparing next week's sermon like a week ahead for some time. And it's been just absolutely glorious. But I came to these messages that I've thought about a lot. I mean, these are things I've talked about for going on 15 years now. In fact, as of today, at least 15 years, I've been talking about these things. But this has been one of the most difficult sermons I've written in recent history because there's so many ways i could have said the things that we're going to say today so many different things we could have sought to address today but i really wrestled i hope today i prayed today that as we talk about the gathering and as we move next week to talk about the going that god would be honored that we as a people would be blessed and that we would gather we would find a new a a, a new interest a new desire a newfound passion, a newfound excitement, a newfound, um, and just a reinvigorated desire to be God's people together. So let's read the passage, we'll, 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 we'll pray, and then we'll work through it. So, so I, I think on the screen behind me, it says Acts 2, 42 through 47. For the sake of context, we're going to start back in verse 36. We can't read all of Peter's message, uh, but, but we're going to tag into the back end of it just to see what he's saying, just to see the results of it, so that as we move into 42 through 47, we can, begin to see, we, we can understand the, the driving force, if you will. So, so Acts 2, beginning in verse 36, the Word of God says this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, And there were added that day about 3,000 souls... And they, those 3,000 souls along with the 120, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved let 's pray, Father, so grateful for, for your plan, for your work, for your power being made uh, beneficial and helpful and life giving through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we get to stand here that I get to stand here and teach about it, that we get to gather around the reality of it that is, is an indication of your grace. We, des, we, we don't deserve this. We can't earn it. We're never going to be able to pay it back. You weren't obligated to do it. But God, you have been so good to us. And so I, I pray today, Father, that, that just as we, as we come to your word, as we look to your work and, and, and seek to live in light of it, I, I pray that your spirit would move on us. Just draw us again to look at you, to look at your work, to remember the power that you've wrought in our lives, to bring us from death to life, and to live with that power moving us motivating us and empowering us to to accomplish your good work in in this very broken world. Help us today, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm just going to say it right up front. Uh, We gather because of the gospel. That's the point. We gather because of the gospel. Now, I know that, that that's not, it's not like super profound, not super deep. Not, not, to, to be fair, there's probably lots of people that could say it a lot maybe catchier, maybe, maybe put, put a little spin on it, maybe a lot of more flourish to it. I, I'm just a simple guy. We gather because of the gospel. To be fair, as simple as a statement as that might be, the reality of doing it and living in it is radically different. To, to, to be honest, there's lots of reasons people have gathered as a body of believers that had nothing to do with the gospel. I, I mean, as a kid, I'll just use my own life as an example. Uh, there, there's all kinds of things that we do and have done, I have done in church life for all the wrong reasons, right? So, so I can remember at about eight years old, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, and I got baptized. Because I wanted the affirmation of the man who stood at the end of the aisle. It was my dad. And I thought, he told me this message. He wants me to say I believe it. He wants me to do these things. I must do these things. I didn't ever believe those things. I didn't trust those things until I was about 20 years old. Now, there was a form of religion in my life all the way, all the way up until I was 20. It wasn't, I wasn't connected to the church. In many ways, I had rejected the church and had, wanted nothing to do with the church. But I understood the Bible had some effect, some authority, some place in people's life. I had been raised to believe that uh, as as a young child. But before I was a b- before I was saved, well, probably even after I was a Christian for a period of time, I would I would approach the Bible for all the wrong reasons—not to know the God of the Bible, but to seek to justify my life and activity, as a result. So one of the first reasons I went to a, I approached the Bible. One of the very first things that motivated me to read the Bible for myself was to figure out if I could drink or not. And I'm not talking about water. I'm talking about alcohol. Right? Like we're I wanted to know if I could have a Jack and Coke when I left the hangar. After I was an aircraft mechanic in the army, and I wanted to feel okay about going home and having a drink. The, the, the thing is is, is it, 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 it's It is a simple idea. It's a simple thought we gather because of the gospel. But I think it's so imperative for us to just get simple about this stuff sometimes because there's so many ways that we do all the right things for all the wrong reasons and we might as well just be doing the wrong thing instead. As important, and and I want to be cautious, I want you to do the right things. I want want our people to live the life. Even, Even if our motives aren't pure, I want you to live the life. But as important as it is to do the right thing, it is as important to do the right thing for the right reason. Biblically speaking, the Pharisees are a great example of this. This is a verse that's come up a number of times in my conversation over the last several weeks. I even heard it yesterday. Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees in John chapter 5, and he's, and he's, he's demonstrating to them, Hey, you've rejected me. There's been these witnesses that have pointed to me. But you go to the Scripture, he says, to find eternal life in them. And I think there's even a lot of Christians that would say, well, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? But then he follows that phrase up by saying, but they weren't given to you for that reason. They were given to you to point you to me. The scriptures themselves aren't the source of life, but the one they direct us to see is the source of life. Jesus is the source of life. And so, so if we go seeking out the scripture to bring justification upon ourselves or to earn eternal life or to, to demonstrate ourselves of worthy, we're going and doing the right thing for all the right reasons, which undermines the right thing we're doing. And we got to understand this. I, I think it's so important and so imperative for us that, that as a church, this has become one of our, just one of the, the, the regular ideals that we're seeking to, to build into all that we do, all, the, all of our gatherings all of our ideals that we gather as a people because of the gospel. But I want, I want to be clear about this. I don't, want to, I don't want to just throw it out there. And it, I want to be as clear as we can be. And we don't gather simply because the gospel exists out there as some message. And, and because it's out there, we exist. That's not how the gospel works. We gather because we believe the gospel is true. Right? Right? There's lots of people that know the gospel exists, that know that Jesus was a real man who lived a life, who died a death, and and, and who has been reported to have raised again. There's lots of people who know that story. But because they don't believe it to be true, they'll never gather with God's people. Notice this is what's happening here. And and that's why I felt like we needed to go back and see this context. I just want you to see this. So so Peter has just preached this gospel message, and he comes to the conclusion, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you were crucified. And then we get to see the immediate response in the people he's preaching toward, that are hearing his preaching. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. There was an immediate response, a deep response, Level response, a recognition of what what horror had just taken place. The man we crucified. Many of these people had likely stood in the in in the courtyard of Pilate's of Pilate's uh, palace and said, "Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him!" Fifty days later, they're hearing a man empowered by the Holy Spirit preaching a message. That this Jesus is the one who God has sent, the one who God has used the prophets to foretell, the one who God has said, all of my promises will be fulfilled in him. And they hear this and suddenly they recognize what they had rejected before is true. They're cut to the heart. Now it doesn't say it explicitly, but this is the moment of faith, the moment of belief, the moment that they recognize the truth. And believed it to be true. And and what happens? The rest of this passage, the questions that they ask Peter, the teaching that he gives him, and, and the events of 42 through 47 are all the result of this faith. They began to gather because the gospel was true. And because they had begun to believe it was true. It radically Re- reshaped their life, the, the-, the way of their, uh, uh, their way of living, their way of going and doing, uh, it-, it changed everything for them, not just in their identity, but in their practice. And so as much as is possible, as a church, as much as we can possibly do it, uh, 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 the pastors of this church, we want to lead you to gather as a people like the earliest church, because we believe the gospel is true. And so I want to know, I want, you, I want you to wrestle in your heart just a little bit right now, in this moment. You know, it's actually interesting. The song we sang just before, just before the, the prayer and the announcements, there, there were questions being asked Will I have eyes to see? Will my faith stand true? I can't remember exactly how we said it, but there were a couple of questions at the end of each little line Will I really believe this? I just want to do a self-evaluation a little bit. Why did I come to church this morning? Am I checking a box? Am I earning some blessing from God? I I, I hope and I pray that somewhere in there is the recognition that you are here because our God is a saving God. The problem is, is, and and I should have brought this quote uh, as we talk about the motives and the, and, the, and the stuff that we deal with, the problem is that our motives are never pure. There's a, there's a uh, his name is Jerry Bridges. He worked for the Navigators. We're actually using one of his books in our equipped classes. Uh, I think Respectable Sins, I think is the name of that book. But he wrote a, he wrote a book called uh, Pursuit of Holiness. And it's a great book. I would commend it to you. But then, but then a lot of the stuff that comes out of that, he then adapts into a daily devotional. And it's like... Uh, it, it, it's, it's not seven-day devotional. It's like the weekdays and then the weekends. So I guess it would be a six-day devotional. Uh, but it's a, a year-long devotional. And in that devotional, he, he brings out the point that, that uh, our best works are shot through with sin. Because somewhere inside of us, there's always these wrong motives. But I pray, I, I pray, and I, I just would ask and encourage you to seek to nurture the desire to be here because our God saves. That's, that's a beautiful reason. It's the reason we see the church gathering in the beginning. It's a beautiful reason to continue to gather today because our God is a God that saves, and we believe it. Now, I, I don't want you to think, that oh, well, that, that just, you know, come on, you just kind of drew that out of this passage, and, and it seems, but, but this, is, this is the unanimous witness of the whole New Testament, truly the whole Bible, right? That, that faith motivates and moves us to, to live a certain way. But, but, but it, it's made extremely clear in the New Testament. James, in his writing in chapter two, he, he comes to this place where he says, you know, faith that doesn't work, faith that doesn't produce works is dead. And, and he challenged us to, to, to see that people who walk around saying, I believe this. I believe the gospel's true, but then do nothing with it It's a said faith. It's meaningless faith. I can say I believe things all day long, but if it doesn't change the way I live and the things I do, then it's a meaningless, empty, dead faith. But that a saving faith produces action. And here's what's interesting about it. As you read it and look at the argument he's making, the object of faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. He starts the argument by, by calling out the faith, the, the faith of those who have their faith placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's not just simply saying, hey, that works without, without any faith are okay. We're, 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 all, we're all good doing works that have no faith, motivating them. No, that's not what he's after. He's not after doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. But he's driving us to see the importance of our efforts, our works, being driven by faith. A faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that actually moves us to do something. John, in his first letter to the, to the church, is, is focusing highly on, uh, uh, primarily on God's love and, and God's love of us and, and, and his love born out of us and how we're to love one another because we've been so loved. God loved us, so we love him, and we love one another. But who is it that he's addressing? The people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son. The people who love like Christ are the people who believe in Christ. It's this faith that motivates us. It's the faith that moves us to one another, he says. That's that's the message. Peter called the whole church to be holy as God is holy. And and he's one of the the Bible writers, James and, and he are very similar, that there's lots of imperatives. Do this, do this, do this, do this. But every one of these commands are rooted in one reality for Peter. Because of their faith and love for jesus he opens the letter writing to the elect people of god talking to them about the faith and love they have of jesus even though they've not seen him with their eyes you love him and you believe in him and because you do therefore he says because you do be holy as he who has called you is holy it's 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 faith that moves us to this it's it's not a oh i'm gonna make myself holy by doing something it's a i believe it so so in that the I'm holy, and because I'm holy, I want to live holy because I believe it's true. Paul's letters, consistent in that the call to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says it twice that that starkly. Live in a manner worthy of the call in Ephesians, and live in a manner worthy of the gospel in Philippians, both times. and, and, And this is true of all of his letters, but it's clearly stated in these two. All of that is rooted in a faith. Driven response to the gospel. Just that it exists isn't enough. To believe it, to believe it's true. This is the the press and and the pointing of the whole New Testament. Because you believe it, act like you believe it. Because you believe God saves, come to be with the people who believe God saves. We gather because we believe the gospel is true. We gather regularly in big and small groups because we believe the gospel is true. We gather in formal settings like this and in formal settings like community groups, but we encourage our people to gather informally all of the time because the gospel is true. You don't need my permission. You don't need some event on a church calendar to have have a reason to be together. There's a good enough reason to be together. The gospel is true. We gather because we believe it. In big group, small group, formal settings, informal settings, because we believe the gospel is true. But that's not the only reason. We believe it because we're transformed by the gospel. So, so look here, again, back into this context, the, the, the verses just before 42 through 47. So Peter says, he, he tells them, you know, Jesus is... But both Lord and Christ, he's been made by God, both Lord and Christ. They're cut to the heart. There's this moment of faith. But, but pick up in verse 38. Peter says to them, this is the response he calls them to. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ, Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so, automatically, automatically, the, the, the response that he's recognizing their faith and he's calling them to a new life. Because they are a transformed people. We gather... We gather because we are transformed by the gospel. I want to just show you that in this. The immediate, the immediate result is don't uh, repent of your sin. Like, turn from them. Quit practicing them. Seek to put them away. Be, be done with them. And, and immediately that connects them to a whole group of people because there's 3,000 people now being called to repent, to turn from the futile ways given to you by your forefathers and turn now to the truth of the gospel. And then he calls them to baptism. Peter's calling to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And just just so you know, that's a significant thing for the Jew. For for you and I, we didn't grow up having this pressure. We didn't grow up with this this demand on our life. But, But for the Jew, standing in that place at that moment, hearing Peter preach and recognizing Jesus is the Savior, and he's saying, now be baptized in his name. He's saying, step out into the world, publicly professing your allegiance to the man that Jerusalem crucified. Now, 3,000 seems like a big number, but in contrast to the number of people who lived in Jerusalem, that's not a big number. He's calling them to step away from everything that they knew, everything that they were, the systems and structures of their world. Come out and stand in the name of Jesus Christ. Publicly profess your allegiance to him. This would so so, so demonstrably separate them from, from the life of Jerusalem as they testify their, t- to their union in Christ. Now, there's, there's another component of the baptism that is a picturing, it's a representation, symbolic of the, of the forgiveness of sin. The, the repentance and the baptism being tied together demonstrate that, that we're, we recognize we're sinners who need to be cleansed. And he's saying, you find that forgiveness, you find that cleansing in the Christ who you crucified. So, so he's, he's now saying, all right, step out as a people, step out as this new people, stand as this people, public profession, public allegiance, who no longer look to the law, who no longer look to the teaching of the rabbis, who no longer depend upon what happens at the temple for your forgiveness, for your cleansing, for your life. And you find yourself standing before God approved, not by those things, but in Jesus Christ. Radically Radically different. Now, I just want you to just draw these things out. So, so here, the baptism, it helps us see them becoming a new people. In, in the forgiveness of sin, it helps us begin, begin to see them no longer w- with, with this new identity, no longer sinner but saint, right? So, so now they're not the old covenant people. They're these new covenant people who are now called saints, not based on what they've done in their adherence to the law, but based on what Christ has done in his sinless perfection, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection. And then one final component that, that, oh man, it just gives life and power to every bit of it. Receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, for all all who God has called to himself. Every Christian is indwelt by God's Spirit. When we we respond in faith, in in the moment of conversion, conversion, faith and repentance... And we could argue we could, in fact it 's been debated throughout church history, all the order of these things, what produces this what, what, where, what comes first, what comes next, However, it all works out it 's an eternal work that many we 're just going to have to argue and just be willing to debate and talk about it, but the reality is in this moment of faith and repentance, conversion, we receive the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit takes up. Residence in our lives and so so now it's not only this new identity belonging to a new people but we have a new relationship to god in which we don't have to go to a temple to dwell with him or to meet with him he's in us we are his temple there is a radical transformation, and this gets broken out even further over the New Testament, this, this, this transformation, as, as I mentioned earlier, that's, a, that's sometimes qualified as coming from death to life, sometimes talked about from being sinner to saint, and all of these things. There's so many ways that we could qualify this, that we could talk about it, but, but in this passage, Peter's, Peter's calling them to, to, to live out of this transformed place, this new life, this new people that you belong to, this new new, uh, cleanliness and acceptability before God, and now this new relationship in which God literally dwells with you. And so here are these people, distinct from the rest of Jerusalem, distinct from the rest of these people that they had dealt with, with this newfound union with Christ, this newfound allegiance in Him. What's the natural thing to do? what do we all do? We seek to be together with people who are like us. Uh, I I don't even think this is selfish. I just think this is an innate human nature, just part of the image of God upon us that's desired to belong. And suddenly we have all of this in common. Because think about it, who of you deserve to be here today? Who of you have earned your place before God? Who, have you, who of you have cleansed yourself of your sins? Who of you have obeyed the law so clearly, so perfectly, so completely that you can look at God and say, look at me now? None. Now, There's lots of reasons people don't come to church. One of the most, one of the, one of the most popular reasons I get told people don't come to church is because they say, oh, there's a bunch of hypocrites in there. And they're right. We are a bunch of hypocrites. It's true. And I don't, I don't know if you find, I'm not really bothered if you find that offensive, but, but it can feel offensive at times. We are hypocrites, just like everybody else in the world. The one thing that sets us apart in our hypocrisy is that we've confessed it and need forgiveness for it and are looking to Jesus Christ to cleanse us of it rather than pretending we're not. Right? Yeah. Yeah, we're hypocrites, but we've admitted it. And if you didn't admit it till just now, you can agree with me. You're a hypocrite, but there's grace for that. It's okay. We're sinners. We're hard to deal with. I'm your pastor. I know how hard you are to deal with. just I love you. I'm just... But, man, come on. We are hard to deal with. We hurt one another's feelings. We say things that aren't intended to be harsh but come across as harsh. We miscommunicate. We have sin in our heart. We get angry with one another. Everything that's going on in the world is going on or or going on in here, though, is going on out there. We have a solution. We have an answer. We also have a God's we also have God's spirit drawing us. We gather because we are a transformed people, because because of the transformation of the gospel. We gather because God is binding us together as his people. He's transformed us, made us new, and working in us to bring us together. We gather because we believe the gospel is true, and we are being transformed by the gospel. There's all kinds of people out there gathering. All kinds of people out there gathering. But it's these two realities that make us distinct in a world that gathers in movie theaters to gather around the most entertaining flick. Biggest, uh, I, I look forward to being able to sit down and see Avatar. Not because I'm gathered with a body of believers in that moment. Because I'm looking forward to just seeing the, the, the special effects, the storyline unfold, all that, all that stuff. It's, it, it's, it's fun, it's entertaining. But there's nothing binding those people together except that movie. And when that movie's over, those people mean nothing to one another. Or go to a sport arena, a sporting arena. I don't know, a baseball stadium, football stadium, soccer stadium. I don't know which one you would want to be seen in or not want to be seen in. The game will bind us together for a moment. If we appreciate... The team, if if one of our favorite teams is playing, it'll bind us together a little longer. But how long is that going to last? So we've been transformed into an eternal people who will last forever, and we get to be together right now. See, here, here, it's, it's these two realities, it's these two undergirding ideas that, that draw us, that motivate us, empower us, and move us to the gathering, right? It, it, and it's the result of the gospel, the good news of, of God's work to redeem and restore a people to himself through the sinless life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that, that motivate, move us, empower us, and and become the the thing that that drives us together, that draws us together, that moves us to a place where we're at the same place at the same time longing for one another. It's it's the gospel, the lifeblood, the heartbeat, the the central focus of our gathering that, that makes our gathering worthy of being a part of. As much as I'd like it to be me, I know better. As much as you might like it to be the things that surround us, the trappings of church, there's only one that will draw us and bind us together for eternity. It's the gospel. So we gather because of the gospel. And because of the gospel, we gather to teach and study the gospel word you're going to get tired of the word gospel by the time this is all done and said. But I just, I hope the point is driven home. It is at the center. It's the undergirding principles. It's the undergirding truths. It's the undergirding, it's the the sphere, the air we breathe. Because of the gospel, we gather to teach and study the gospel word. Look at verse 42. Four things that they devote themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers... And all came upon every soul, and, the, and, and it, it, re, it, it reveals the result of their faith and their gathering and their devotions, right? So, so because of the gospel, we gather in big group and small group, in formal ways and informal ways, to teach and study the gospel word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The, the, the gospel, in a narrow sense, as, as I defined it last week for you, and I've said it a few times today, so that hoping to get it in your mind and in your heart. In in a gospel sense, or in a narrow sense, the gospel defined focuses on the the, the immediate work of Christ to accomplish the gospel. So so it's the good news, it's a message of God's work, God's the one doing this. Uh, Redemption, restoration through the work, the, the sinless life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in a broader sense, the reality is is that the gospel is the message, the good news of God's work from the beginning, Genesis, in the beginning, God created, to the very end when He creates and makes all things new. When Jesus stands there and says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, I am making all things new. This is all good news. Every ounce of it. And his good news, this message has been being proclaimed since the first words were being uttered. And it will continue to be proclaimed in this world until Christ returns. So we come, we study the gospel word that doesn't by itself breathe life, but points us to the Savior who does. That's why it was so important for Jesus to say to these Pharisees, you go to these scriptures looking for eternal life, but they were given to you to show you me. And yet you reject me. So you reject the scriptures is is ultimately what he's saying. But but they gathered to hear the apostles teaching. And and, and what the apostles were were, were teaching was that Jesus was the fulfillment of all God had been doing in the Old Testament. They were leading the people to see, continuing to make it known that Jesus Christ was, by God's definite foreknowledge and plan, the Christ, the, the Messiah, the one, the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. He was that. And they went devoted to hearing that teaching, studying that word, knowing the gospel word. And so, so brothers and sisters, because of the gospel... We seek to make the word central to everything we are and everything we do. Uh, They they must remain central to our gathering because this is the the clearest and, and, and best expression, explanation, Old and New Testament to point us to Jesus and always, always move us to see our sin so that we can live in repentance of it, turning to our Savior, in faith, and here's the here's here's the problem. And I think I think there's a number of reasons for this, but it's really common in the American church to live solo scriptura, not sola scriptura, which was the Protestant Reformation, one of the five solas, right? Sola scriptura, scripture alone, by faith alone, grace alone, right? That we have come to a place, and I think it's partly a reaction. I think it's partly just our own, own sin natures. You know, the first the reaction that that in the in the Reformation, the, the printing of the Bible was bringing people to a place where they were no longer just dependent upon what the priest said on, in, in, in mass or whatever they would have called it. The, the, they were able to see the scripture for themselves and begin to read it and understand it and study it. And so the Holy Spirit dwelling in them was doing this thing and, and bringing life and, and, and moving people in new ways. And they recognized that the priests were, had been teaching in error, in, in contradiction to and in... In contrast to the scriptures and they were calling them, well, you got to stop that, you can't do that, you know, and calling the church to that. But then on the other side, we, we live in this, uh, uh, in this America that, that says, you know, uh, a government of the people, by the people, for the people, where we're always at the center. We, independently, are always at the center. And, and our culture, while there's good things that come out of that and good things, good reason for that formation of government, what it's tended to and what it's become is now, I get to be God and I'm the final determination on what a right interpretation of the Scripture is. And in Christian cultures, what, that, what that's worked out to be, oftentimes, is we assemble a group of teachers that tickle our ears and say things exactly as we want them to say, that don't challenge us or move us to repentance, but only ever affirm us. And that's dangerous. When when Peter was, was giving his final instructions to Timothy, he said, Preach the word in season and out of season with complete patience, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. It's interesting to me that two of the perspectives that he draws are corrective. Every one of us believe lies. Every one of us are convinced of lies. Every one of us need to be shown we believe lies. And if the teaching that we hear only affirms what we believe, then we might just be deceived. We need to be taught. We make the teaching and the study of the word central. And, and because it's, it's such a vital component. It's such a vital part of the gathering. Because the gospel is true, we believe it's true. We need to understand the gospel, the good news of God's work from beginning to end. We need to understand it in its fullness, not in what makes sense to not 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 what not what appeases our sensibilities, not what makes us feel comfortable in our little in our little perspectives, but what draws us to see that Jesus is our savior. So we gather because of the gospel. And because of the gospel, we gather to teach and to study God's word. And we take this seriously. We take it so seriously that, that we seek. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it is a primary desire of my heart and my desire in ministry to raise up men to preach God's word. We, we were even here yesterday. Caleb Nix preached his first sermon in front of a group of people to gain feedback and to, to begin to understand how, his, just, just how, how he can more effectively preach and we ask people to do that before they stand in front of the church and preach. He did a good job. Just for the record, if you're wondering, he did a good job. It was a first, it was a first sermon, but he did a good job. He said lots of good things. He, he, he spoke from the scripture. There's things. It's a first sermon. There's plenty of things for him to, to grow in. But here I am, 15 years in, and I still, every week, need to be, need to be thinking, how can I more clearly better Better present the truth of God so that it hits your ears and the Spirit takes it and brings reformation in your heart, for lack of a better way. To say it. Because of the gospel, we gather to teach and study God's Word. Because of the gospel, we gather to participate together in the gospel mission. They devoted themselves in their gathering. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship and 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 that word has lost so much meaning in in, uh, contemporary Christian culture because we think of fellowship as the event we go to, right? Like we're having a... A, a fellowship as an event. And, and, and it's not that there's not some fellowship that can happen at the event, but the event itself is not the fellowship. The, the word is koinonia. We've studied this closely when we went through the book of Philippians. It's partakers together in something, participants together in something. And, and in particular, when it's applied to the Christian life, it's partakers together in the grace of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's participants together in the mission of God. And in the immediate context, we see this kind of break itself out, this participation, this partaking together in God's work in spiritual, physical, and even multiplication ways. So first the spiritual. So, so they're coming to be taught by the apostles. They know we're brand new. We're kids. We're infants in this faith. We need to know. We need to be taught. We need someone to teach us. And so they go to hear the teaching of the apostles. They're devoted. They're committed to the fellowship in this way that we want to continue growing in this and participating and partaking in it. But they also participated and partook in physical ways. They they gathered. They started spending lots of time together because because they recognized a love for one another, a a devotion to one another, that, that, that each person gained value to one another. But more than that, they began to see need in one another's lives. It wasn't just spiritual, but also physical. And they loved one another more than they loved their possessions, and they began to give to one another. They began to have meals together. They began to spend time together. They began to, to receive together. And at the end of the passage, at, the end of, at, at, at verse 47, we get to see the multiplication of this. As as they did these things, as as they both gathered with spiritual purpose, a physical care for one another, with with multiplication happening all around them, all comes upon every soul. The glory of God is magnified among them. I mean, just imagine. We get together without a concern simply for ourselves. We get together for the love and care and devotion to the one another and get to see God work in one another as we do that. All falls up upon every soul. Wonders and signs being done through the apostles, and, and 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 look, we're not a we're not a charismatic church in the sense of certainly not a health and wealth church. We're you know we're not going to have Benny Hinn up here throwing lightning at you or something like that. We're not going to do that. But it is amazing to get to sit back and watch God work in the lives of His people. And so maybe maybe today the 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 healing ministries or the the getting to see the the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Maybe that doesn't happen nearly as regularly as it was in that time. There was a purpose for it. There was a reason for it. But God is still working. And it, and it then further just produces awe. But how do we get to see this if we're never together? They grew closer in life together and thought together. It wasn't like they were a bunch of cookie cutters and a bunch of robots. They, they were growing together in life and so much so that, that, that my life isn't just my life. Our life is the value here. They hold all things in common. They gather regularly. Glad and generous hearts are receiving things because, hey, I've been so blessed and now I'm getting more blessing. Oh, man, that's amazing. Just imagine what it would look like if we could put this on, if we gathered with this idea. So I don't think, I, I, I think if the American church, and this isn't just about us, this is is true of american church culture i I think if the church would gather because of the gospel participate together in the gospel mission in these ways and put these things on i don't think we'd have to try to coerce people to come in our doors i I don't think we'd have to advertise a a giveaway oh we're gonna give away a car come to church you know i i I don't think that it would be be twisting of arms hey would you want to come to church "Eh, you know a bunch of hypocrites in there Yeah, they are, but look at what God's doing among them. We'd be able to just talk about all of the glorious things that God is doing among his people. I just don't, I I, I think that, I think that, that there would be something different happening. If because of the gospel, we actually approached everyone in our gatherings as an opportunity to serve one another rather than coming to be served. Imagine how different the church looks when we don't come to get and to consume but to bless with gospel mission, with gospel blessing. I really believe that's not just something that happened once. I think it's what God intended for his church, to all have a role, every one of us. We have something to offer. Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the spiritual gifts that God's given his people to use to bless his people. Gifts of teaching and administration, uh, all all kinds. There's a whole list of them. He talks about it in Romans as well. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the, that God has gifted the church with the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So he's given you leaders to help you do ministry because every one of us have a role. Peter, in his letter, 1 Peter 4, he describes the, the gifts of grace, these gifts we've been given of grace in, word, in terms of word and service, word and deed. And so some people are given word gifts. You're you're meant to get up and proclaim something, and others are given service gifts. You're meant to serve as if God's empowered you to that service. But but I think it's telling, I, I think I put this verse on the screen for you. First Peter 4:10. As each has received a gift, as each has received this grace, use it to serve one another as God's as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's given every one of his people, as he's indwelt us by the Holy Spirit, the ability to steward his grace. So that we get to share it with one another. Now, imagine a church that says, I've got so much grace, I just got to give it away. I need to be at the gathering, I need to be with God's people, whether it's in a home or in, a bu- in, in this building. And when we're just coming together, and we're like, I just got to give you some grace. Like, here's some grace. I think that's infectious. I think that's life-giving. I I, I think that's exciting. I think that's moving. It's such a great reason to gather because God has blessed you abundantly in the gospel and he's given you something to give to his people in the gospel. Now, I want you to come and I want you to receive. I want you to be blessed by everybody in this room, in this church, and in our gatherings by the gospel work that God is doing through them. But I want to be blessed by you and God's work of grace through you. And if you're not here, and if we're not part of the if you're ga- not gathering, it's not just what you're missing. It's what we're missing. We need you. And you need us. Because God, is, God has done a gospel work. It's true. And he's transformed the people that gather around his word, learning and being blessed by his word. So that we can gather, because of the gospel, to participate together in his mission in this world. Because of the gospel, we gather to remember the gospel sacrifice. And the next thing we see is the breaking of bread. Now, a lot of people would immediately look at this and they say, well, that's a meal. And I think there's a way in which we could say that's a meal. But, but most theologians, most, most people who, who look at this and understand the phraseology and the terminology, they, they recognize Luke chose specific and purposeful words here. To breaking of bread, not not the traditional way they would have said it, to sit down and have a meal. So so their understanding is is that he's highlighting that even in the midst of a meal, somebody might break bread and might might point people to Jesus and say, remember the sacrifice. We do it. Every week we're gathered together. We're going to end today looking at the sacrifice, remembering every one of us, bought, at a price. We're not here because we deserve it. We're not here because we earned it. We're not here because we functionally did it. We are here by God's grace and the sacrifice of his son, sinless life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection. Remember, we because of the gospel, we gather to remember the gospel sacrifice. And because of the gospel, we gather to pray to the God of the gospel. Devoted to the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. <clears throat> See, we don't want to just be a doing people, and this is difficult for me because I'm a doing person. I feel self-sufficient in a lot of things. I feel like I'm, 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 I'm I can. I, I just feel too, probably too confident in my own ability. But there is no work that can be done in this world that's eternal if God doesn't do it. Now, it's nice that I, I turned 50 this year, and it's nice to, to turn 50 because I'm finally being confronted with the reality that I'm weak and tired. I have been all my life, but it's becoming a reality that, that is being pointed out because it's, well, physically I'm feeling it. And I, I learned this lesson several years ago. Every prayer meeting that, that I was a part of, tended to be, my, my, Amy and I, it tended to be, we were some of the youngest people in the room. We would go to this Wednesday night prayer meeting every, every, at the church we were previously at. Every, every Wednesday night, we'd go to this prayer meeting. There's only about, I don't know, 12, 15 people in the room, every one of them 30, 40 years older than us. We were literally the youngest people there, but it's so sweet to sit among these people who, who, though they were growing in their weakness and their frailty, were so powerful. But I think, I, I think we miss it here. And if I were to call our church to anything, I think it would be this. And as a, as, as a pastor, I've, I've, been, I've felt the conviction. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through this. I'm going to bring it up at an elder meeting tonight. I know that this is something we've got to continue to grow in. I, I, we recognized it a few years ago, but we've got to continue to grow in this. But, but we, I, I just want you to see how, how, how central prayer was to these people. It didn't start in Acts chapter 2. It actually starts in Acts chapter 1 after they've sent, been sent back from the, the mountain Jesus ascends. In Acts chapter 1, they are gathering devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The people continue to be devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. They are praying and the whole place shakes. They're praying and asking for boldness. The whole place shakes and they get up and preach the gospel with boldness. In Acts chapter 6, the, the apostles focus on teaching and prayer. There's the division in the church and they're like, we got to keep praying. We need people to do this, but we got to keep praying. Acts chapter 10, Peter's led to Cornelius as an answer to the prayer of Cornelius. It says Cornelius is a Roman centurion and he's praying regularly, praying daily to God. And God answers his prayer by sending Peter as the first, so far as we know, the first Gentile believer in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12, Peter's in prison. The church is fervently praying. And what happens? Peter, the angel shows up, leads Peter out, of, out. And where does he go? The gathering of people who are pray, fervently praying for him. And they're shocked. Like the girl answers the door and she comes back. Oh gosh, there's a spirit. There's Peter's spirits out. Peter's angels out there. He's like, no, it's me. Knock, knock, knock. Let me in. Acts 13, after prayer and fasting, Peter and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. Prayer is central to the life of the church. And so we do gather around prayer. We have prayed this morning. We prayed before I preached. We prayed before I even got up here and read the word. Our worship team, before they even began the gathering, prayed. We'll pray in just a moment as we close this out. We are a praying people. But because of the gospel, we gather to pray to the God of the gospel. What a blessing we've been given. So, brothers and sisters, I would just call us to be and grow in prayer. Because of the gospel, we gather to teach and study the the word, the gospel word, to, to participate together in the gospel mission, to remember the gospel sacrifice, and to pray to the God of the gospel. We gather because that gospel is true. So it's worthwhile. It's the best thing we could do. It's the best thing we could give our time to. It's the best thing we could expend our effort in in serving one another in and through and because of the gospel. And it's the only God who's promised to hear our prayers and do a gospel work and do a good work in this world that lasts for all eternity. And it's all rooted in a sinless life. Radically sacrificial death. He deserved nothing that he received. But he was crucified as a criminal. We remember it today because he's not dead in the ground in a, in, in a tomb that we can go visit. But he's risen and ascended and sitting at the right hand of our Father. So let's pray.